Hello, everybody. Welcome to another podcast on these present days. Let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for revealing to us the truth behind all of the curtain of lies that is pulled shut in front of the world's eyes. And I thank you, Lord God, for we're not going to be set up and surprised because we are carefully listening to you and your voice that those that don't know you despise. But you are guiding us all the way through these times that we're living in these days as the wise. I thank you, Lord God, for in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So, hot topic, hot stove, hot topic, hot mess um, for a lot of people because what's current and making news everywhere is the Supreme Court having a leak of a draft. It's not a final thing yet. It's a draft of overturning Roe v. Wade, Roe versus Wade which is the landmark decision back in 1973 that started the legalization of, of abortions and the killing of millions of American citizens. Um, and I put it like that because, you know, people have been duped, people have been lied to, like the last podcast we're talking about, you know, truth versus lies. Um, that... I could talk about that topic every single week because God is God is the source and origin of all truth. Truth is ultimate reality. God, who made everything, has the, 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 the patent and the rights for ultra, ultimate reality and the knowledge uh, thereof and the standard of the way that his creation should behave and should operate. Jesus even one time told a parable about a vine keeper, you know, like a farmer that was, you know, tending his vines, and, and he came to a, a tree that's in the vineyard, and the tree was not producing fruit. It was a fruit tree, maybe a fig tree. And so he, the, the owner of the, of the plantation, the farm, he said, I want you to cut that tree down. And the vine dresser, the, the guy, the gardener is out there working, he begged him and said, no, let me have more time. Let me have more time with it. Dig around the the the, the root base, you know, and and fertilize it and and cultivate it and water it and see if I can't bring it back. And if in, in in a certain amount of time, you know, if not, then you can cut it down. And Jesus is telling the story, and he says that he gave the command in the first place, the owner, to cut it down because it encumbers the ground. What does that mean? It encumbers the ground that it's growing out of. In other words, it isn't, it, it's a violation of creation. It's not producing what it's supposed to produce. That's why Jesus at one time walked up to a fig tree looking for figs, found none, and he cursed it because it was like the nation of Israel. And he used it as an example. He used that, he told that story and he, and he pulled it into a teaching about Israel. Israel is symbolized by two different kinds of trees a fig tree and an olive tree. An olive tree is religious Israel. A fig tree is political Israel. And so he said, 
you know, to the fig tree, you're, you're now cursed and no one will eat fruit from you hereafter because Israel as a political nation was under the Roman rule at this time and they're not going to bear fruit under, the, under any rule except for God. And even when they had no enemy occupying their territory, they turned their back on God time and time again. They broke his commandments time and time again. They backslid on him time and time again. So what I'm talking about is stuff from the Bible, the Old Testament, that sets the standard for the way that people are supposed to behave on this earth, keeping God's commands. Even now, in the age of grace, when we're saved by grace, not by works, lest anyone would boast in your works, but we're saved by grace, and Jesus does all the works. All we need to do is put our, our trust in Him, our faith in Him, and commit our heart to Him, and He changes us from the inside out. And we start to incrementally change you know, from the inside to the outside, finally, in the way we speak, in the way we act, in the way we, we respond, and stuff like this. It's a shame that the church hasn't gone through the processes, by and large, that the Bible mandates. In other words, discipleship, being trained in the words of God, because my thoughts and my ways are higher than your thoughts and your ways, says the Lord, as the heavens are higher than your storm, my thoughts and my ways higher than your thoughts and your ways. But he said, as the rain and snow come down from heaven and water the earth, causing it to spring forth in bud, giving seed to the sower and food to the eater, bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It will not return unto me void, but it's got to return unto him. Okay, so the body of Christ is just as bad off as the world to a great degree. I mean, I think, I think the majority, I, I figure that on the earth right now, people that profess Jesus as their Lord and Savior and God as their Father make up about maybe 2 billion people out of 7.5 billion on the earth right now. Maybe 2 billion people. I might be high or might be low. I'm just taking a shot at it. Okay? That's a lot of people. Two billion people that believe in God. Two billion. Wow. That's a million million. Two billion people. I would I would estimate of those two billion people, there's Catholics, there's Protestants, you know, there's Lutherans, Baptists, Methodist, Presbyterian. Um, there's probably born-again people in offshoots of that, like Jehovah Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists, um, Mormons. I'm, I'm serious now. I'm serious. Mormons, possible. You know, I mean, even, I, I won't go so far as to say other ones that have been, you know, completely man-made and nothing of, of the Bible. These other ones that I just mentioned, you know, like Seventh-day Adventism, you know, um, and Mormonism, which calls itself, you know, the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. They got Jesus up there on that on the side of that building somehow. And I'm saying that there's Christians in a lot of different places. You'd be surprised at where they're coming out of when Jesus comes for his church. But what I wanted to say is that of all of the people, you know, like Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, you know, um, they got Southern Baptists and regular Baptists and they got offshoots, you know, Lutherans that came out of Martin Luther who's led the Protestant movement and stuff like this, and the Catholics. There's a lot of Christians in Catholicism. 
and they're doing works that they don't need to do. They're living by mostly Old Testament uh, scriptures and standards in the New Testament. But, you know, it, it, what that's done is crippled the body of Christ. We do not function athletically uh, with strength and poise and grace as we are in the middle of running our race. We're a little bit uncoordinated. We're a little bit, you know, like... Um, one side of the muscle group is fighting the other side of the muscle group and it makes you look spasticated, you know, like a spastic, you know, having a spaz attack or something. Um, I don't know, you know, what that's caused by. I don't know if that was ever said of people that suffer from lep uh, not leprosy, epilepsy, um, but if it does, you know, include that, I apologize. I don't mean that. I'm just trying to get you to visualize the body of Christ is not a smooth functioning organism as it should be because it doesn't understand God's ways. Uh, the majority, the majority, like if the majority of your body is afflicted, the majority of your body isn't communicating with the minority of your body, your body is not going to be coordinated. It's going to be off. And so some of the things that I'm going to be mentioning right now are things that the body of Christ has compromised itself on. Divorce, hello, that's a big one. There's as much divorce as the world is divorcing and breaking covenant and, uh, and tearing you know, the families apart. Uh, the church is for the longest time now, for like at least 45 years that I know of, the church has had at least 50% divorce rate. That's one out of every two people are going to get divorced. And in the beginning, you know, like you wouldn't be able to keep in ministry if you divorced and you were a minister, you'd be done, you'd be through. They, because they were very, very, the, the denominations were very, very hardcore about it and stuff like this. And so that was forbidden. And now, you know, you can be divorced several times and still, or you can actually get divorced one week and get remarried to another person the next week and get and never miss a Sunday. I've seen that happen. I know of that happening in Southern California in a major major church a few years ago. And it's, and it's crazy. But what I want to talk about, which in the news cycles right now, it's going to be there for a while, is the Supreme Court had a leak. And it was, you know, purposeful. It wasn't an accident like, whoops, whoops. You know, spilled my coffee, whoops. Nope, it was purposeful because some party, somebody that's a partisan that's leaning for their party that needed something to break away from maybe some bad press and some bad attention because of how bad, you know, the ratings of the present administration is going. You know, they're going to lose a lot of seats in Congress and in the Senate. They say, they say, I'm not going to get political any more than that. That's, that's enough. I don't like, you know, talking all this stuff, you know, because it's just back and forth. I mean, and it's pretty, you know, there's one side that has been the endorser and the champion of abortions, and that's the Democratic Party, and that's the liberals, and there's one that's been against primarily, you know, but we've seen a lot of crossover as of the last 20 years into this new century to where... Conservative people, 
Christian people. It's even gotten into the churches. Um, abortion, like a, if you if you had a poll like you do for divorces, you know, like how many people are Christian that got divorced? How many people that are not Christian or don't believe in any God got divorced? It's the same, okay? And if you had that for abortion, I believe it would be the same. And I don't want anybody out there to feel shame if you had an abortion and you didn't know any better and you repented of it and God's forgiven you, please don't take this, you know, the wrong way. I have to talk about this because it's in the news right now. And it's, it's, it's brought about a curse on our nation. And it's an abomination to God. The Bible says in the Old Testament, the nation that sheds innocent blood shall be cursed. Hello. Um, innocent blood, well, you know when... when they sold the public on this whole abortion thing. They lied to us. Truth versus lies. Truth versus lies. Okay, we got Bible scripture that tells us that creation of a child begins at conception to when the male's seed penetrates the female's ovary and even before it can be detected uh, of any kind of brain waves or any kind of a heartbeat, a human was just created and God was endorsing it because there's a spirit given to that, that human flesh and that collection of cells, as they call it. But they were told for years because, listen, listen, the one who championed abortions was a woman by the name of Margaret Sanger. Uh, Sanger sounds German because it is. Uh, does he, anybody remember what was going on in Germany when they were dealing with the Nazis and the superior racist thing and, and all of the extermination of the Jewish people? Right. Well, this is the same kind of a mentality, and she kind of got her way into the movement of women's rights Women were suffering, and so they called it the women's suffrage movement. And so she was one of the, the people in the peripheral, not necessarily the leader of, of the formation of the women's lib, but she was around, you know, in the, in the conversations. She was introducing and, and championing one of her pet peeves, and that was abortion. And she was targeting a certain race, and that would be the African-American race or people of color you know, that are diverse, you know, nations that are living in the United States. And so that's been buried. We've been, we've been deceived and, and lied about. You can look it up in history books. And for years and years and years, they changed the history books. Now you can get some people that are being honest about it and bringing it out. But what I'm talking about is that this whole thing that is in debate right now, that they may overturn Roe versus Wade. And the reason that we have abortions accepted was because it was in 1973. I was a part of the hippie movement. It started in 1967. I graduated high school in 1966. And all the way into the, into the early 70s, it was still going on. We were still having con, uh, concerts in the open fields and stuff like Woodstock and New York and, and uh, 
you know, in San Fernando Valley and up in San Francisco, you know, the jazz festival, you know, Monterey Jazz and, and all this stuff. And rebellion was, was, uh, was, was uh, the tune of the day. And, and, and we're rebelling against the government going into Vietnam and losing soldiers over there in a war that, you know, wasn't attacking us and stuff like And people were up in arms about stuff. And so what came out of that was a lot of rebellion, a lot of, a lot of mistrust of the government. The government was lying. And it's been lying to us for years. We know that. And we still have the best country in the face of God's green earth, you know, even with that, you know, much corruption. But what I'm trying to say is that the people that were a part of that movement, like myself, my age group, they got into position where they have been doing some things, you know, like starting with abortion, starting with segregation. You know, who, where'd that come from? The Democratic Party again. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm not saying leave, I'm, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying, you know, that's a dirty party, you shouldn't have anything to, I'm not saying that, I'm just saying facts, the Democratic Party was behind segregation, 100%, and then they changed their tune, because they knew that they could get these people to vote for them, you know, if they went ahead and, and uh, did some affirmative action things, you know, and some, you know, making sure that the, the welfare state was developed enough to where it could take care of them, and there was, you know, they're still doing what they what they did to them on the slave plantations where they separated the families by, you know, not giving them help and welfare um, because they couldn't get jobs, because they couldn't get education, you know, a good quality education. You know, the whole thing was a quagmire. And so the Democrats were championing, you know, things that would lock people into a, uh, a voting block, you know, for their party for years and years and years. And I'm not trying to, you know, to shame anybody. I'm trying, I'm trying to talk about truth versus lies. I'm talking about things that people have been misled to do and misled and maybe we've been a little bit lazy about it, not looking into it, not doing the research on both sides, you know, of the arguments and just letting people go ahead and make the laws for us and then enforce them. And right now it's become really sticky with that whole thing of them considering overturning Roe versus versus uh, Wade, but listen, that, that the abortion is not a constitutional right. It was never voted by Senate or Congress into law. It was never signed by a president. It was um, allowed by, the, by, by our, our highly respected Supreme Court who tried Roe versus Wade as a case, and they allowed it. And then it went by like wildfire. We've been dealing with it for 50 years now almost. It's 48 going on 49 years. And upwards of 30-something million people never got to step on the face of the earth because of abortion. And what it was was, and like I told you, I'm not wanting to talk about this part. I had to get some background for you, but I'm talking about sacrifice. That's what I want you to hear is a message about sacrifice. Love sacrifices. Love sacrifices itself before it sacrifices its children. Love would take a bullet for their children, but we got away from this love of God uh, revelation through Jesus Christ that is the catalyst that saved our soul. We got away from that. 
Because when I was living amongst the hippie movement, and I've given my testimony about how I dealt with it. I didn't go along with it. I wanted to fit in with it. But my conscience was too strong. You know, I couldn't have sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I loved the rock and roll, and that's all I, I followed after. But you come out of that, and the people, you know, that the concept, the ideology in the world, which hasn't entirely seeped into the church, except for in this one thing, but, you know, the, the abortion concept. But what is the abortion concept about mostly? You know, sure, I mean, I can understand somebody wanting to get an abortion because their child is going to be deformed. <coughs> Something's gone wrong in the womb, and they can detect there's some kind of a malformation, and that, that child is going to be suffering. You know, sometimes certain things didn't get developed. There's no brainwave activity or something that they would be born brain dead. And so they abort it. And they have some other things to come up, maybe incest. The child was conceived out of, you know, out of a, a perversion of some kind, you know, or a rape. And they want to not have to live with that. And, but there's wonderful stories, too, of other people that found out there was going to be some kind of a problem with the with the child. They stuck with it, and they raised that child, and they trusted God to give them a grace to help that child, and they sacrificed for that child instead of sacrificing that child. And that child, you know, became a living human being, and they had, you know, as good a life as they possibly could. Others that were resuscitated on the table after the abortion have gone on to, to do wonderful things, amazing things that have have kind of arrested the attention of people to reconsider because you don't know if you're aborting a Mozart or an Einstein or, or somebody like that because, you know, who knows what God has got planned for that for that child been de that's been developing. But the, where, where people were duped is that the science came out and the science was mis was wrong, and I think that they were purposely wrong because the agenda was so strong being pushed because of a mentality that women are always stuck. If men can have their way, they can dally around, go sow their wild oats, and they don't get pregnant. They don't get stuck with a child, and a woman's got to raise that child from, you know, doing bar hopping and, and playing around and all this kind of thing before they settle down. And men didn't have any responsibility to it, to the relationship. And so the woman, you know, when that offered, you know, when that came on the table that they could possibly pass laws, a woman to abort that child, and, and, and it's not a child to begin with, the, the lies, the lies start pouring in. It's just a mass of cells. It's not a real human being. I mean, it means nothing. You know, God's not against it. You know, just lying and lying and not understanding that life begins at conception, not at the first breath, at conception. Life is there. And it's not a matter of choosing to let a human being live or not. Um, to some people that got wrong information, because it was just a mass of cells being removed from your body that you didn't want anymore. It was causing your belly, your womb to swell up and just get rid of it. You know, but as more information over the years, you know, that was given by people that had maybe gone through it or science, you know, now taking the wraps off of it because the pressure that they had on them back then to save the certain things that 
people that wanted this to pass uh, needed to say so that they could get it passed? Because, you know, Supreme Court, if you're talking to the Supreme Court, even in 1973, and you tell them the straight fact that you're going to kill babies, babies, babies that should be in a crib. You're going to kill human beings, little human beings that can't protect themselves. We should have protection, you know, protection like we do for adults in this country, for babies, for babies that are being developed. And if they would have presented it like that, that this, we can show you proof that this is a living baby. They would have never passed that. I don't care what side of the aisle they came from. There would be an uproar like crazy back in 1973 in this country. Are you kidding yourself? We're killing children? I mean, that's worse than protesting the Vietnam War. And so what I'm talking about today is sacrifice. That we human beings are being in this country and around the world, because this, you know, what we do here reverberates around the world. This country is being challenged right now to overturn something that's been a mainstay. And people are up in arms about it, protesting, going out of their God-given minds, you know, trying to make their voices heard because they have been strung along by a bunch of lies and even probably participated because they didn't know any better uh, that abortion is okay. And now Roe versus Wade is saying, based not necessarily on the moral issues, the moral issue being child or no child or just a mass of cells or a human being, but the moral issue being this way that it isn't a constitutional right and we have no right to uphold it any longer. It needs to be overturned and it needs to be left to the states and the people that vote in their states to determine whether or not they want this. Because, you see, in 1973, a body of nine Supreme Court justices that were never elected by the people for the people of the people, but they were selected by Congress and by the Senate and the President of the United States to be nominated and accepted into the Supreme Court. They decided this year, right now, that they don't have the right to make that call because there's so much pushback, so much protesting in the 21st century against it as well as for it. And so it's like probably 50-50, splitting the country right down the middle. And they have bowed out of the way gracefully. That's what they're doing. They're bowing out of the way gracefully because they don't want to have to make that call because they were not even elected to that position. And so they don't know what certain areas of their, their country, what they want for their people growing up. Now, we know what's going to happen if that goes that way. People are going to cross state lines to go get abortions in other states that allow it, or states that eventually you know, were a, a democratic state will turn Republican, you know, because the people will vote the Democrats out and they'll go and shift the, you know, the political powers back and forth on it. But what we, what it really comes down to is that back when I was growing up, it started in 1973. I was 25 years of age in 1973. And at 25 years of age, you know, like if I was doing what my friends were doing and what the young people of the world were doing. They were having sex with everything that moved. It was a sexual revolution in this country. And that sexual revolution 
led to a place to where you know people needed to cover their you know their tracks their trails they needed to be able to have their freedom of sexual movement instead of you know keeping it in the family keeping it in a in a covenant of marriage keeping it in the biblical standard that God says that not not to live as fornicators you know but, but the, the the marriage bed is undefiled you know and so you can have all the sex you want with your wife you know and I know you know fallen people are still going to do whatever they they're going to do but the church of all people the church doesn't doesn't hold to the standard that God put there but goes along with the world that's because they don't understand they don't understand God's ways they don't understand God's God's thoughts and as the snow and the rain have to come down from heaven. So is God's word that goes, you know, falls from heaven upon the soil of man's heart, causes it to spring forth in bud, giving seed to the sower or bre and bread to the eater, giving words to the speaker and giving manifestation to what they're saying. God says, so shall my word be. It will not come out of my mouth and return unto me void. And how does it return unto him? He returns unto him by it coming into our mouth. How does it get into our mouth? By it falling on our hearts. When we read, when we listen to the word, it falls in our hearts and it causes it to spring forth like a plant and bud and it gives fruit and it bears fruit and it returns back to God. It gives, it gives seed to the sower, seed to the sower. What's seed to the sower? It's the same as words to the speaker, words to the speaker, because he who is speaking on behalf of God is sowing seeds and so shall my word be, it shall not return unto me void. That it will accomplish that for which I sent it when it returns to me. So, what does that have to do with what's going on now? What's going on now is that we've got people that don't know the Word of God, that don't live by it and don't speak the Word of God as they should in, into situations of life that could be life and death or you know, affect the mortality rate of children that it needs to be overturned, it needs to be abolished completely. And did you know that 22 states um, in this country of, of 50 states, 22 states have already abolished abortion in their states. It's already, it's already there. They haven't accepted it. And we just always hear the protest of the, of the ones that want to get their way so they can abort their babies, so they can run willy-nilly all over the place, have the freedom of their sexual expressions, all they wanted to have and stuff. And what was that born out of? That was born out of the generation I was being raised in. And what was that the generation I was being raised in? The most selfish generation on the face of the earth. I'm serious. The most selfish generation on the face of the earth. The generation that told the old fogies, all the old old farts in the world that our parents age and older, that they had, we have no use for you. We have no use for you. You know, you, didn't, you don't know nothing. You know, we're taking over the world now. It's our turn. That was my generation. My generation. My generation didn't understand sacrifice. My generation didn't understand laying your life down, you know, for the sake of others. My generation didn't understand the love of God. My generation, I mean, I'm talking about my generation being raised in the church. I was raised in the church. And, you know, my generation is to be responsible, you know, for the generations that came after that. 
and because they grew up to become parents and become senators and presidents and congressmen and women. And so here we are. And so what does it mean? Well, you see, one of the scriptures in the Bible that I, I need to make mention of in all of this is Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? To surrender yourselves to God, to be his sacred living sacrifices, and live in holiness, expecting all, or excuse me, experiencing all that delights his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. I, I love how, how sweet that sounds, how powerful that sounds, all at the same time. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? He showed us mercy in forgiving our sins. He showed us mercy in keeping away from us what we deserved to get, what we deserved, because we, we, sowed, um, we sowed to sin by just indulging. We sowed and gave in to sin. We should have rep, reaped and, 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 and be reaping corruption if we sowed to sin. But he stepped in. He took the, he took the bullet for us in his son, and he gave us his son's life to change us into a new creation and showed us his mercy. And so what proper response to God's marvelous mercies should we have? To surrender yourselves to God, to be his sacred living sacrifices. What's a living sacrifice? A sacrifice you don't put to death. What's a living sacrifice? A sacrifice that isn't subjected to, to actual literally dying, but it dies to its own way. It dies to its own agenda. It dies to its own rights for the sake of the rescue of others. And live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart, God's heart, for this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Listen, God sacrificed his son so we wouldn't have to be sacrificed on the altar of God's punishment. What are we doing sacrificing our children on the altar of our selfishness? What are we doing? We have no right over the life of that child, even if you're carrying him in your body, your choice. No, it's not your choice anymore. There's a human being in there that's got a choice, and it is fighting to live. If anything bothers that, that woman's body that is pregnant with a child, the antibiotics, antibi antibodies in the, in the body, the immune system is kicked into high gear, and the lymphatic system is on, on red alert. Everything is fighting for that child to live, and that child itself is fighting to stay alive. And a child has a right to life. That's a constitutional right. If it's a citizen of this country because it's being conceived and born here, if the person even crosses over from another country, they're carrying into this country. This is a sanctuary. This country is supposed to be a sanctuary of human rights. And so the right to that human in the womb 
is being violated if that person that's carrying that human in the womb um, desires or chooses to sacrifice that right, that, that right to life human being in her womb because she thinks she has a right of choice because it's her body. Just because it's your body doesn't mean that you can kill somebody else with your body. Because that would be murder. And you can kill somebody else and put them to death so that you can enjoy yourself some more. So you won't be encumbered. You won't be inconvenienced. Oh, God forbid we think like that. And so I'm, I'm, I'm shaping this. I'm trying to get on an upbeat kick right here because this is good news. If our country is finding its moral compass and there's so many people that don't want it anymore, don't want it, don't want it in their state, don't want it in their city, they want to stop it, or at least stop it if it's got a heartbeat. You know, the heartbeat law in Texas has passed, in Mississippi, I mean, has passed. I think Texas, you know, almost passed it. You know, but if that's where we're at on the, on the fringe, on the brink of that, well, praise, praise be to God, because that's the result of a lot of prayers, a lot of protests, a lot of marches, a lot of information that's been get out, gotten out there, that's been given out to people, and a lot of women that have suffered through young person's disease, you know, to where you can't be told anything. You don't think anybody, you know, can tell you what to do with your life. It's your life, and you're all, you know, upset about, you know, being told that you have to carry this baby who got pregnant. You went and, and did your thing, and you got pregnant, you have to, um, that you are now growing up because the aftermath of what you put your heart through, not just your, your womb through, but what you put your heart through, the aftermath of that, you know, you learned a valuable lesson, and God has even blessed you to have children after that, um, hopefully, and you've learned better, um, and you were scarred for a while, but God removes all the scars, you know, from our hearts and our souls, and this country, you know, needs a good dose of a renaissance, of a, of a morality check, and this could be the first place to start it right here with the Supreme Court kind of washing its hands like Pilate because they didn't want the children, they don't want the children's blood on their hands anymore. They're saying, just leave it up to the states. You know, I'm washing my hands of it. Just, you know, toss it back to the states. They got to, they got to, you know, and then the people have to decide, just like Pilate said, who do you choose? You know, and they chose Barabbas and turned their back on Jesus and he's, we could wash his hands from it. You know, and so, this could be a turning point in our in our country that we need, you know, to see this done, and so that's a hot button on the on the on the reporting right now. You know that that's being wildly debated. We don't know how soon it's going to come out uh, a decision. Uh, some people that are um, are for it say it needs to happen quick. Needs to happen soon. You know, before the tide of, of, of angry people and protesters, you know, may turn the judges the other way and, and stuff like this. The judges have been under threats, you know, and they have to be, have special protection now. 
and so it's a real hot hot spot for us, you know. But it's such a shame that we would have to fight so hard you know, amongst our fellow citizens in our own country for something that is so indecent that they want to keep. There's nothing decent about snuffing out a baby. I mean, give it a chance. I mean, what 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 good look is it to have an MMA bout? with an infant that can't even walk yet, going up against a big, giant, full-grown monster of a muscle-bound man with some combat boots on, just walks over and crushes his spine and kills him. What good is that? I mean, are we throwing people to the lions again, like in ancient Rome, for sport? What good is that? There's nothing good in that. There's nothing good to hold on to that. There's nothing good about freeing you up so that you're not encumbered anymore. Well, we need to snap out of our selfishness and snap in to a way of living a life that is not all ingrown, <laughs> not all inbred in our thinking. You know, just hanging with people that think the same way that we do so that we maintain our own thoughts. Um, okay. Um, if you don't want to grow anymore as a person, you don't want to understand anymore as a person, you want to stop everything right there and become a potato, you go ahead and do it. You're, 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 you do it that way. Surround yourself with the people that agree with you. Surround yourself with people that, that think the same way as you. You're stuck thinking what they're thinking, they're stuck thinking what you're thinking. Good, you know, good luck with that. But when somebody starts to, to jar our thinking, some things are happening that makes us look in the mirror, some, some things that are going on that makes us ask questions, why? why? Why did this come about in the first place? Why do we allow it to go on so long? Why don't we stop it now and start answering some of those questions? I think that's where we are right now. I think that we, as a society, need to understand the sacredness of sacrificing. It's sacred. It shows the maturity of a person to prefer other people, including little babies, even before their own well-being, even before, before their own comfort. I mean, what mother that's raising their baby and gave everything she could to the baby to come into the world healthy and did the right thing and she had the baby full term, full birth and that baby is, is suffering of something and that mother is willing to give of herself to save the baby's life. I mean, it could be anything from hunger. In some countries, children are still starving because of lack of food to eat and their parents will be right there with them and push the last piece of food over to the child and die, giving their last morsel in a sacrifice to their child, that somebody will find that child before that child dies next. And that's instinctive, people. That's an instinct that we need to revive on the inside of us to sacrifice. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 16, it says, We will show mercy to the poor and not miss an opportunity to do acts of kindness for others. For these are the true sacrifices that delight God's heart. 
you see, when it comes to sacrifices, sacrifices, God's no spring chicken with sacrifices. God's been doing sacrifices for years. Back in the old covenant, they sacrificed innocent animals for the sake of guilty people. They were born into sin, not of their own choosing. It happened years and years and years and thousands of years before they were ever born that we were all born into sin. And the sacrifice was a representation of Jesus yet to come that would sacrifice his pure, sin-free blood for the guilty, for you and me. And so God's all about sacrifices. And now he's talking about a living sacrifice. Now he's talking about a sacrifice where he lets us continue to live, but he wants us to live a sacrificial life. What does that mean? What God has done for you, do for others. What God has given you, give to others. What God has helped you with, help others with. That's what we need to be. And so this right here, that's an uproar, and I, I'm sorry I took so long you know, trying to build the backstory first, but, and I, don't, I didn't mean to get so political. I hate politics. I hate them. I hate politics. I don't hate the politicians. I hate the politics of stuff. You know, but it, it, you have to get dirty sometimes, you know, before you can, you know, clean up right, I guess. And so I apologize for that. This is where I wanted it to go to, and this is where I wanted it to stay. And that is, it dawns on us that we need to live a life of self-sacrifice and stay alive doing it. Stay alive. I mean, that's the highest, that's the best, that's the utmost. Because if you live that way and you help others that way, God will take care of you and keep you alive so that you can do more people that way. So that you, your footprint is going to be a massive footprint when your days are finally complete. Your carbon footprint is going to be a glorious footprint. It's going to look a, a lot like a guy named Jesus' footprint. Because that's how he lived all the time touching people that were untouchable, going to people that couldn't come to him every step of the way, forgiving their sins, letting them touch him when they're contagious, and they, and they receive the life of God going into their bodies, and standing in the way of a bunch of people that wanted to murder a woman for committing adultery, standing in their way and blocking them and sheltering her and sacrificing himself. And they all were dismissed and dispersed. You see, it says in Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 3, it pleases God more when we demonstrate good godliness and justice than when we merely offer him an animal sacrifice. And so they started to learn it and started to gravitate away from the animal sacrificial system when the book of Proverbs and other books in the latter part you know, of, the, of the Old Testament started you know, being widespread about what wisdom looks like and the wisdom of God and what it sounds like and what you say and also you know, just the power of, of what we say and how we do people. You know, um, godliness and justice godliness and justice. He says, when we, it pleases God more when we demonstrate godliness and justice. What godliness means is God-likeness. 
and the way they amalgamated the word and made a hybridization out of it, they made the word godliness. That means God-likeness. When we demonstrate God-likeness and justice, then when we merely offer him a sacrifice. In the Old Testament, it was an animal sacrifice. Uh, it was um, a time sacrifice, where your time that you sacrificed for a whole day, you wouldn't do any work on a Sabbath. So there would be a time sacrifice. You would wear linen so it wouldn't cause you to sweat. That would be a sacrifice, you know, your, your wardrobe sacrifice. You would go on fast when God commanded fast. You would fast food and wouldn't eat it and sacrifice, you know, that as well. And so he's talking about demonstrating godliness and justice as a living sacrifice. We're still to be a living sacrifice. No longer is there any animal, any animal blood being shed. No longer should there be any human blood being shed for the sake of others unless it comes down to where you have to protect your family or your country, you know, and God, you know, calls you to step in to the, to the gap that needs to be filled. But otherwise than that, no. No, Jesus shed his blood so that we don't have to. Jesus shed his blood so that baby in the womb doesn't have to. We need to understand it that way. We need to understand what we've accepted for our own personal salvation, we need to apply that to that child in that womb because Jesus died for that unborn child just as much as he, he died for the one-year-old that's going to be the brother or sister of that unborn child. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. In John 15, 13, for the greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. And this great love is demonstrated when a person sacrifices his life for his friends. And Jesus went on to, to one-up that one when he sacrificed his life for his enemies. And I, you could say that we, you know, looks like, it looks like we um, have got ourselves into deep water. We got a lot to live up to and we got a lot to come up with. And it really comes down to no, we don't. We're bankrupt. We have nothing to give on this level except for God imparting to us his own grace. God gives us a grace to do this kind of thing, to live this kind of way, to be a living sacrifice for the sake of others. So, one last thing. In the name of Jesus, Father, I thank you for, for forgiving us, for not being more proactive than we should have been. And letting all these years pass, I'm talking especially about my generation,
because my generation spams this whole time, not letting this generation be crushed with the guilt of our inactivity, Heavenly Father, because of your mercy. Thank you, Lord God, for being merciful and allowing us to live to see these days. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for also showing mercy to those that have been deceived and led astray and lied to, that participated in abortion, whether you drove somebody to the abortion clinic or you yourself partook of it, or maybe you had a few abortions. May you please receive God's mercy, God's forgiveness, and also forgive yourself because you didn't, you didn't know any better. You didn't understand fully. You were caught up in it. And Father, I thank you for moving upon our hearts. No matter what side of the spectrum we were involved with in the last 40-some years of this being a thing, that was accepted, being a thing that was fought for, being a thing that was promoted. Heavenly Father, thank you for forgiving us, for saying nothing and doing nothing at times that we should have. Thank you for forgiving us, for participating. Thank you for forgiving us and washing it up, washing us clean in your blood. Thank you for eradicating the, the thoughts and the memory of it. Thank you, Lord God, for reuniting us with loved ones that have populated heaven prematurely as they were sacrificed on the wrong kind of an altar back in years past. And thank you, Lord, for accepting our living sacrifice now as we endeavor to represent you and your kingdom and your love by sacrificing our pleasure, sacrificing our comfort, sacrificing our prosperity, sacrificing even our health at times to help somebody else, sacrificing for the sake of love being fulfilled. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. God bless you as you go your way. And may you go your way with unshackled, unburdened hearts in the name of Jesus. Amen.